0: So I've got a throughout this introduction, I'm going to ask for a show of hands, and you you can still play along if you want. You can either raise your hand, you can get a like, or you can type your answer if you want. Uh, wh- what do you guys think of martyrs? Uh, uh, it's not a question I know you think of. It's coming out, out out of the blue, but what do you think about martyrs? A martyr is someone who voluntarily suffers death as the penalty of witnessing or refusing to renounce a particular religion. Okay. Someone who gives their life for a cause. Okay, volunteers. Anybody? Show of hands. Anybody want to be a martyr? Uh, well, yes. One or two. Okay. Um, but just not today. Uh, maybe. <laughs> uh, uh, Ruth Bell, uh, who would later marry Billy Graham. When Ruth Bell was a little girl, she had a passion for martyrdom. She grew up in China where her parents were missionaries. And she used to pray every night that the Lord would let her be a martyr before the end of the year. She wanted, and this was her prayer, she wanted bandits to capture her and behead her for Jesus' sake. Her sister Rosa used to think, how horrid. So every night after Ruth had prayed like that, Rosa would pray, Lord, don't you listen to her. (laughs) And we'll let the Lord work out who he honored and who he listened to. Uh, today is the third Sunday of Easter. Uh, two weeks ago on Easter Sunday, we talked about how the women at the tomb were the first witnesses to the resurrection, even though they ne- never actually saw Jesus's resurrected body, they saw the empty tomb. Last week, we talked about the two disciples on the road from Jerusalem heading probably home to Emmaus, and how Jesus walked alongside them on the road uh, and then was recognized when he broke bread, perhaps when they saw the Marks in his hands, uh, they recognized him to be the resurrected Jesus in, in both of those sermons, we talked about the need for us to be witnesses of Jesus of his resurrection of his life forming uh, life transforming power a- a- and While the concept of being a witness is not real common in our particular fellowship and tradition, uh, it, it, scripture seems to be pretty clear we are witnesses of Jesus. So, let me ask another question. Any volunteers to be witnesses for Jesus? Thank you. I don't know who said me, but I'm 100% with you, and uh, and and oh yes, I see you. Uh, okay, I do know who it is, and it makes 100% sense. Uh, <laughs> um, now, can, can I let you in on some bad news? Uh, some of you know, perhaps, but you know what the Greek word for witness is? Martyr. Martus. So, If you're a witness in Greek, you're a martyr. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean you're a martyr in English or in Spanish, but it's the same Greek word, a witness to the resurrection and the power of Jesus. This year, Pentecost, uh, is on May 23rd. That's 50 days or seven weeks after Resurrection Sunday. We're moving into our study now. We've done Luke and now we're moving into the book of Acts and we want to hit Acts chapter 2, Pentecost, on the day of Pentecost. But that means we've got to do something for the next uh, uh, four weeks. And so we're going to look at various texts in the book of Acts. And uh, today we're going to talk about the first Christian martyr. whose name is Stephen. You'll find his story in the book of Acts chapters 6 and 7. I'm not going to read it quite yet, but you can be looking for it, your book, your phone, uh, or uh, whatever device you might have. Now... The birth of the church takes place in the book of Acts on uh, in Acts chapter two on the day of Pentecost. After that, the Christians experienced a time of phenomenal growth. The growth was almost exclusively among Jews in Jerusalem. That was the center for the early church. All of the apostles were Jews, all of the first disciples were Jews, all of these women were Jews, and there were Jews from every place that was gathered in Jerusalem for for, uh, for Easter, for the Passover, that were also responding to the gospel message. Uh, Along with growth came persecution. Uh, 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 persecution from loyal Jews who felt threatened by this new movement, this upstart rabbi who had kind of put himself up, up against and over the traditional Jewish leaders. They were threatened by this new movement who followed their crucified leader. And one of the things that Luke wants to do is to show us how they responded to persecution, how they fared, in the midst of an antagonist and increasingly antagonistic world. There there were a small group of Christians that were just starting to grow. And soon they would become a much larger population. But right now, they were a drop in a very, very big pond. We're kind of on the other end of that growth Spectrum. Like most churches in today's world, Christianity and church membership is shrinking. And so now we're in a situation where our world around us is increasingly non Christian and oftentimes antagonistic. So, so how should we respond? As believers, as witnesses to Jesus, what should be our response to an increasingly intolerant and not uh, um, uh, believing world? Well, it's easy to think that they should come to us. I mean, we haven't moved. Uh, Every time you drive by, you see our building. We're the church. We've been here. And if you have any questions, you can come to us. Praise God that God didn't have that same idea. Because if God waited for us to find him, we'd still be out in the desert looking. But God says, these people need help. I'm going to take the initiative and I'm going to go. And he sends Jesus to live and walk and die among his own people. The way of Christ is to change ourselves and then take the initiative and to do mercy, and to live in the way Christ wants and expects. We're introduced to Stephen in the first half of chapter 6 of the book of Acts. We're not going to read that today just for the sake of of brevity. But but he's one of seven men who are chosen to deal with a crisis in the early church. They used to have a daily food distribution. There were Greek widows, uh, Jewish widows, Greek, uh, uh, Jewish widows who spoke Greek, and Jewish widows who spoke Hebrew, and they didn't feel like the distribution was fair. And so the apostles chose seven men. Stephen was the first on that list. And generally, when you have lists, the person listed first is generally the more important. So that tells you just who Stephen is in a very, very thumbnail kind of a way. We're going to pick up the reading in Acts chapter 6, verses 8 through the end of the chapter. And then Stephen is going to give a lengthy, and I mean lengthy, sermon, discourse, speech to the Sanhedrin, or the ruling council of the Jews, and what we're going to do is, we're not going to read that, you're welcome to do so, uh, it's some 50 verses in uh, Acts chapter 7, and then we're going to jump to his conclusion, and then what happens afterwards. So, I'm going to begin reading Acts chapter 6, verse 8. Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed amazing miracles and signs among the people. But one day, some men from the synagogue of freed slaves, as it was called, these were Jews, started to debate with him. They were Jews from Cyrene, Alexandria, uh, Sicilia, Cilicia, and the province of Asia. None of them could stand against the wisdom and the spirit with which Stephen spoke. So they persuaded some men to lie about Stephen, saying, we heard him blaspheme Moses and even God. This roused the people, the elders, and the teachers of religious law. So they arrested Stephen and brought him before the high council. That's the Sanhedrin. This version translates it high council. The lying witnesses said, This man is always speaking against the holy temple and against the law of Moses. We have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy the temple and change the customs Moses handed down to us at this point everyone in the high council stared at Stephen because his face became as bright as an angel's. And then he begins his discourse. Jump to verse 51, the conclusion. I, I apologize for the, the suddenness and the harshness of the sermon, but you can read through it. Verse 51, you stubborn people. You are heathen in heart and deaf to the truth. Must you forever resist the Holy Spirit? That's what your ancestors did, and so do you. Name one prophet your ancestors didn't persecute. They even killed the ones who predicted the coming of the righteous one, the Messiah whom you betrayed and murdered. You deliberately disobeyed God's law, even though you received it from the hands of angels. The Jewish leaders were infuriated by Stephen's accusations, and they shook their fists at him in rage. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed steadily into heaven and saw the glory of God. He saw Jesus standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. And he told them, look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. They put their hands over their ears and began shouting. They rushed at him and dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. His accusers took off their coats and laid them at the feet of a young man named Saul. Verse 59, as they stoned him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He fell to his knees shouting, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. And with that, he died. Well, what I want to do with this text uh, today is to focus on three characteristics I see in the life of Stephen that I think will help us be better witnesses to the work that God has called us to do in this uh, world, especially in our changing world. For the most part, none of these things are going to lead us to martyrdom. We will be witnesses, in the Greek sense, martyr, but we will not most likely lose our lives for what we believe. It's possible. And if push comes to shove and we have to do so, I agree with those who raise their hands. If my my faith was on the line, yes, I would be a martyr for God. Most of us will never have to go through that decision or that choice in our world today. Three characteristics. The first, godly character. Over and over and over, uh, Luke wants to point out just what kind of guy Stephen was. Remember what he was chosen to do. Wait on tables. Hand out food. Now, uh, show of hands, any of you ever worked waiting tables, uh, uh, worked in a restaurant? Yeah, a bunch of us have, right? And some of us, for me, that was a step up from washing dishes. And uh, uh, then it went from there to becoming a chef. I never, I, I wish I could tell you that then I became the owner of the company and I'm filthy rich. But, uh, uh, but, but neither of those things happened. Um, do you remember your job application when you filled it out to be a, uh, to wait on tables, to be a waiter or a waitress? Uh, uh, Did it it say something about what kind of spiritual life do you have? Uh, How are are, are you viewed in spiritual terms? Are you godly? Most businesses and jobs don't really care about your spirituality. They want to know, can you take an order, remember it, and treat people nicely? Stephen was chosen, along with the other seven, because he was a man of faith and full of the Holy Spirit. We see that Luke wants to let us know that he was a really gifted man. He was full of God's grace and power, and he performed amazing miracles and signs among the people. We we don't know what kind of miracles and signs, but typically when that's used, we're talking about raising the dead, we're talking about miracles, healing people, different kinds of things. But even though he was so specifically and specially gifted, he wasn't above waiting tables handing out food. And I think that shows his true character as a man of God. Very early in my missions ministry, the first summer we were in Buenos Aires, uh, uh, I had an opportunity to witness a true servant of God. Uh, Reese Mitchell was a veteran missionary, and he took all of us young kids under his uh, uh, shoulders and arms. He, he was the uh, the scholar on the team. He He read Greek and Regularly in our Spanish assemblies would have the Greek Bible there. Uh, On the last day of my very first youth camp, I was the youngest guy on the team, and so, okay, Jim, you do youth camp. Uh, On the last day, uh, I was paired with Reese to clean uh, the men's bathrooms after camp. Now, the installations are pretty rough, pretty rustic, right? This is a camp that's out in the country and uh, smelled bad even when it was clean. So I was happy to give it a once-over, And let's just move on. Well, not Reese. He had me wiping down services and mopping with disinfectant. It's like, Reese, come on, man. Let's get out of here. The last thing left to clean were the urinals. Now, most places, if you look inside a urinal, and I'm talking to guys, right, you're going to see all kinds of bits of trash. Gum wrappers, you'll see gum, you'll find all kinds of things, right? So Reese asked me what what we, we should do with the trash, I said, Reese, it's obvious. We just leave it. We don't know if that was our gum. We don't know if our guys put that there. I mean, it was probably there when we came. And so I think we can leave it for the next people. He shrugged. This is early 1980s. And this Greek reading missionary reached into every urinal without gloves and removed the trash. And he went down every single one. That was 40 years ago. I still remember it like it was yesterday. It impacted me so deeply that this man was humble enough to do a dirty job, but it was what he was called to do and what he was asked to do, and he fulfilled that duty. In today's Christian world, our first opportunity to be a witness for Jesus is all about our behavior and our character. At your job, when you're asked to do a demeaning or an uh, uh, unpleasant job? How do you respond? Well, I'm above that. Get someone my pay grade. You know, I'm above that. Well, people are watching. And people see us long before they hear us. And many people have already developed in their minds a uh, an idea about who we are. By the time we get around to saying, uh, oh, by the way, I'm a Christian. You want to come to church? And if we have already ruined our reputation by acting in a way that does not demonstrate our godliness, then it will be an uphill climb. Godly character. Uh, the, the second thing is that Stephen was bold with the truth. Now, he ended his sermon with some pretty harsh words. We jumped right in there where it says, you stubborn people. But but if you think about it and you review the sermons that we've seen up to this point in, Acts chapter, uh, in, in the book of Acts, a, a, every sermon had one of those hard-hitting moments. Uh, Peter says in the sermon in Acts chapter 2, Let everyone know, all Israel, be assured of this, that Jesus made that God made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. In Acts chapter 3, uh, Peter says, You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. In Acts chapter 4, after healing a man, Peter, Peter, uh, Peter said, Know this. You and all people of Israel, by, it is that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. In Acts chapter 5, Peter said, The God of our fathers raised Jesus from the dead, whom you have killed by hanging him on a tree. So, so Peter, uh, so uh, 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 James, <laughs> uh, uh, what's his name? Stephen. So Stephen is going to follow in the tradition Of Peter and all of the apostles in saying the same message. We are all responsible for the death of Jesus. Now, it's important to keep in mind who Stephen was addressing. He wasn't talking to the no good for nothing Greeks and Romans out there. He was talking to God's people, the people on the inside, the Jewish leaders. He was denouncing their hard-heartedness and their stubbornness. And it makes me think of those words in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 17. Judgment begins with the household of God. Now, this can be a challenging situation, right? You've got the Jews, you've got the Christians. Both of them feel like they're right. The Jews felt that they were basing their views on all of the years of tradition, of their relationship with God, uh, handed down for generation after generation after generation. They had the scriptures, God's very words. The Christians were basing their views on their relationship with Jesus, and they were convinced that even though Jesus was, a, in the minds of some, a Johnny-come-lately, even though Jesus was much more recent, they were convinced that this was really the truth that God had been saying from the very beginning, and that's what Jesus affirmed. Remember last week, the two disciples on Emmaus, Jesus opened their eyes, opened the scriptures, and went back and showed how all of the law and the prophets were pointing to him. So the problem wasn't that the Jews had the law. It wasn't that the Jews had followed God in this relationship for centuries. It's that they really didn't understand what was being said. And Pete, and Stephen simply points out the same message. This is what God has been saying. Stop resisting the word of God. And that leads to the third characteristic I think that is extremely important. Stephen was merciful to all, especially to his persecutors. Stephen's final words, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. Was God obligated to honor this dying wish of a man? Did God forgive everyone? Well, I think God made it possible for all those to receive forgiveness. Whose words were these for? Was was Stephen trying to tell God what to do? Was he taking this authority he had as as, as a Christian man full of the Holy Spirit and say, God, you better do this? Or or were those words maybe for, for, for people that were present that day? I think that he was saying words for all of those who are gathered, and that included the church. He spoke the truth, but with boldness. But now his dying words are full of mercy. His final message was a message of forgiveness. Sometimes as Christians, when we get into discussions and and trying to understand things, it's easy, especially if someone's trying to do us harm, it's easy to to lose perspective of of what our relationship looks like, and we tend to develop an adversarial relationship with those who don't agree with us and are on our side. We don't have to be enemies with those who don't agree with us. In fact, we should bend over backwards to make sure that people understand You and I disagree about this, but still at the end of the day, I'm going to pray that God has mercy on your soul. Some Christians might object. If we don't stand up for ourselves, we don't fight for our rights, we're going to get taken advantage of. Well, hello. (laughs) Of course we're going to get taken advantage of. We're following Jesus. How many times did Jesus get taken advantage of? Over and over and over. Just like Jesus did with those who Were his enemies, and just like Stephen did with those who murdered him, we need to extend a hand of reconciliation and forgiveness to all those around us. We need to make sure, more than anything else, people understand you are not my enemy. Even when we disagree, even when you attack me, I will offer you the hand of reconciliation. If we had that spirit in America, I think life would look a lot different. If we had that spirit in church, I think church would look a lot different. Because at the end of the day, you never know who's watching. Who do you think was most impacted by Stephen's death and the way he died? Saul. I think Saul. And Saul could never let go. What kind of guy... We don't know if Saul witnessed Jesus' murder. What kind of guy asks God to forgive the people who are stoning him to death? Who could have imagined that Saul would become the great apostle Paul who wrote more books in the New Testament than any other person? These three characteristics, godly character, a bold proclamation, and mercy towards all, Remind us of Jesus through and through. If you and I want to make a difference in today's world, I believe that these three characteristics can help us. Can I get a witness? God bless you, and uh, let's sing, and then uh, Alfonso Thomas will come and lead us in prayer.